Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Broadcast. We're here on iHeartRadio. AMFM 247.com. Tune in. iTunes. Find us. All over the place at JiggyJagwire.com. That's J-I-G-G-Y-J-N-G-O-Y-R.com. Twitch live stream each and every Sunday. Talk America live each and every Saturday. The mix on Tuesdays. And we have got a great segment coming up here in just a few moments. But before we do that, let's tell you about one of our fantastic new marketing partners. We are doing that. We are going to go to our guest. We're going to go to Don Mazzella and Kenny Copeland. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hi. And there, here. there you are, Don. Good, good to hear from you, my friend. We've got uh, our co-host here on Talk America Live each and every week, the great Don Mazzella from SB Digest. And we've got our guest this week who is... Uh, pretty phenomenal herself jenny copeland joins us now jenny um you have a tremendous topic uh talk to me and dawn here about your book and and give us uh, an introduction here oh yes i am a nixon historian um jenny deason copeland i am also an award-winning author for my children's book Um, people at my book signings say i'm a bit of a schizoid i guess i go from massacring kids on college campuses to christmas stories and santa claus tales so (laughs) i i I follow paths that interest me and that award-winning book is a a mousekeeper christmas it's my effort to unshelf the elf because it's creepy to have him spying on the kids. And our little Christmas activity, uh, Mousekeeper Christmas, explains uh, a, an alternative uh, to that from to keep the kids active from, um, you know, Thanksgiving Eve to Christmas Eve. We also recently came out with a game called Saki that was a finalist in 2019 for the Mensa Mind Games. And we go around teaching people how to play our little game. If you can count to 12, you can learn how to play Saki. So, uh, but the Nixon book um, is one of my, my favorite endeavors. It took me two and a half, almost three decades to write this book. And it uh, entailed things like Freedom of Information Act request, and the name of that book is Tiananmen West, Why Nixon Ordered the Kent State Massacre. And it is controversial. I follow follow and tug on all kinds of little hints and paths and try to think the way Nixon thought, which you have to be quite disturbed to pull that off, okay? <laughs> well, okay. Don, um, jump in there, my friend. No, uh, first, I want to make sure uh, I understand the premise of your book. If I'm hearing you correctly, you, your your book is that uh, President Nixon ordered the um, uh, the massacre at Kent State. Did, in his, in his 
Yeah, Don, in his words from his autobiography, RN, the 1990 version on page 457, he's assuaging some of um, Kissinger's discontent with his Harvard friends who are beating him up for being part of an administration that would be uh, akin to doing something like Kent State. And Nixon said, I take full, full credit, full blame, however you want to paraphrase it. But he's telling Kissinger it was his idea, he did it, and he tells Kissinger not to worry about it, he takes full blame. Now he goes on to explain his motive, Don, which um, I think is nebulous at best. He says, for foreign policy considerations. So my research was trying to figure out how could Nixon, what could Nixon's motive have possibly have been to think that it was okay to kill four students on American campus and wound nine others, paralyzing one for life. Well, um, before we go any further, we, uh, in, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, that happens to be one of the uh, stories in my career that I covered. So I was there the day after, and so um, uh, I, I find it interesting what you're saying. Um, I, I'm frankly uh, in, in a little bit of disbelief, but uh, I would like very much to hear uh, how you found the trail from Nixon order to to uh, deaths. I'm, I'm as as a reporter. I'm very interested. Right. Um, the connection I make is he had a, a conference call with the Republican governors, which you, um, there was a quote by Reagan, and I'll paraphrase that as something saying to the effect, if we need a bloodbath, then let's have one. And that was pretty much the way uh, Nixon was hoping the governors would feel. Now, he also had another Republican governor in the state of Ohio. And that the governors, a lot of people do not realize this, are the ones who decide whether or not their National Guard troops in that state carry live ammunition or not. It is up to the governor. And Governor Rhodes and Nixon um, were steering this machine uh, called the Ohio National Guard away from the Teamsters uprising and over to Akron, which is Akron, Kent area. And I do believe very firmly that Nixon, while he'd been bombing Cambodia for oh, a year, months, lying to Congress about it, lying to the American public about it, came out on April 30th with his news broadcast as a way to light the fuse for some unrest on some college campus. And I think because the Teamsters, were, the National Guard were already out in the area um, because of the Teamsters uh, strike, that he... It's one of the reasons why he chose Kent. He would have loved to have chosen either East Coast or West Coast uh, universities that had been on his um, enemies list. But uh, there's no, there was no love loss with Kent either. The students on 1968 in October in the balcony of the Akron University uh, venue where Nixon was giving, uh, trying to give a campaign speech they were so disruptive, and the balcony had signs saying they were from Kent, that Nixon walked off and, and could not even give a speech. So I think he might have, and a lot of Kent State students believe that there was some animosity there towards Kent because of that event. I'm, I'm hearing you, but uh, like I say, can you show, you're saying in effect 
that uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, and please correct me if I'm uh, wrong, um, uh, President Nixon had a, had a conference call with the Republican governors, said, look, somewhere along the line, we've got to have a bloodbath. Um, and uh, I'm going to pick and choose when, when it happens. And then he talked to Governor Rose and said, all right, let the National Guard, the Ohio National Guard, by the way, is one of the best trained of our National Guard units, particularly in uh, um, uh, urban uh, riot control. Uh, Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. and, and he um, said, let's go in so we can kill a couple, couple of students so we can have a bloodbath. Is that exactly. your premise? That, that's my premise, and here's can how you, I uh, spin uh, that uh, a little. Uh, go ahead, Don. Sorry. Okay. Um, I'm not a lawyer, but I always like to, to go from point A to point D. Now, do you have a concrete, uh, written, verbal statement that says President uh, Nixon did this, this, and this so that there would be a... Um, um, a bloodbath at Kent State. It's in my book. That's that's oh. that's my theory that I've put in the book. What well, a theory is one thing, but again, I want to go down um, because, quite frankly, um, I, I've, I've, I'm having a great deal of difficulty having covered those events, having talked to the people, and uh, we can get into that later. Do you have any evidence? Uh, that's what I always ask the. Kennedy conspirators and no one has ever come up that you have two people in a room saying this is good we want this to happen and I want you to do it do you well I believe that that wait, is wait, wait, no no pardon me no, belief is one is one thing I understand okay mm -hmm. do you have one shred of evidence in your book or outside that says that President Nixon, Nixon did this. This is, this is, um, and this is the only way I can answer that question, Don. And that is that having spent the energy uh, to research this, it's coincidental evidence, and that's the only thing that is available at this time. I have not gone through every record in the uh, Nixon Presidential Library. Now that I'm retired, that was one of the things that I had on my list is to search that and see if I can't find proof of my theory. Right now, Don, it is a theory that so, so, that is what happened. He admitted he did it, but now no, can I prove well, it? No, what he said was, I will take responsibility because everybody was coming down on President on uh, Kissinger, mm -hmm. and um, well, uh, the context of which he said it, and, and again I have to say, um, there's an old line from Fred Allen: "Was you there, Charlie?" No, uh, I was. And if you read the book, and if you read what he said at at that time, and then a little bit later uh, at, a, at a symposium, he said, "Look." Uh, people are blaming Kissinger. Where does it go? The buck stops at the president. I take responsibility. That's what he's meant. Not exactly. that he directed. Not that he directed it. What you're saying is he directed it. And I'm. And what he's saying is, if if you want to blame somebody for for whatever happened, to, I'm the one. Well, There's I do believe. Difference between 
Yeah, and let me support my my theory. Again, it is a theory, and I'm always looking for proof for that theory. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a conspiracy researcher. And what you find when you start tugging on the Nixon path is, yes, there was a plan to do very subversive things called the Houston Plan, and it was not approved by Hoover and it was not approved by Hoover's boss the AG at the time and in there Nixon was trying to do the very thing that he ended up doing at Kent even though it wasn't approved and the Houston plan had to be ditched because Hoover didn't approve of it. Let me tell you one of the circumstantial circumstantial pieces of evidence that I unravel in the book and that is the reason April 30th had to be that TV show the the uh, spilling the beans about Cambodia bombing uh, was done on April 30th because Nixon was trying to send a message to the North Vietnamese and he needed something to happen on May 4th so that they would understand the message was for them the message that Nixon um, tried to get the North Vietnamese to understand was that he would go nuclear. If they did not come to the table and negotiate a way out of Vietnam, that Vietnam War, that he would go nuclear. And they called his bluff and they said, there's no way you can go nuclear with the students all over the world protesting this war the way they are. And so Nixon saw the students as enemies because they were thwarting his agenda. And he did not see any need to hold back when he put someone on his enemies list and the students were on that list and therefore I believe the May 4th date was chosen because the May 4th movement was the name given to the start of the Communist Party in Asia and that he knew would be a message to them the date was very important to him you know, uh, people have always uh, underestimated uh, Richard Nixon, but uh, f- five subsequent presidents always called him for counsel on foreign policy because he was probably the, uh, the smartest uh, of all our presidents in the Cold War outside of Eisenhower. Okay. And he'd, he'd uh, pardon me, uh, uh, I'm arguing with you because you, you know, this goes, uh, I don't know if you're aware, but I went with Nixon to China the second time. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, I have uh, been, uh, um, uh, you know, and I, I've seen him warts and all, etc. And what, what, you, what you're um, proposing to, to me runs so counter to what there is about that man. Whatever the dark secrets or dark things he was, A, he, ne- he always said the last, the, the last option is the nuclear option. If you read Kissinger, Kissinger if you go to any of his uh, seminars, uh, and I've had a sit down with, with uh, Kissinger on this, he said Nixon has never, never contemplated the use of nuclear weapons because he understood it, 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 it was a no a no win situation. Well, that's not uh, what Kissinger uh, and Nixon put in their books. They they there were more than one time that Nixon is is 
baiting Kissinger with, come on, be creative. He said one time, why don't you go, why don't you like blow up that that dam? And Kissinger goes, yeah, but that'll, that'll kill 200,000 people or more. And the reply from Nixon was, well, why don't you think big, Henry? Yes. Uh, and if you, if you talk to Kissinger, I'm, uh, it's a bad thing to say. I'm dying for, uh, I'm waiting for, I hope I'm still alive when, uh, after Kissinger when they release all of his papers. Uh, I, again, I, I have to back off and say, you have a theory, I think, uh, um, I, uh, I'm usually on Jiggy's programs, I can see the value of everybody brings in but but the coincidences you you bring up and how you you do it to come up that he was responsible for kent state it's like what came across my desk two days ago a a group says now that president trump is responsible uh for the fire uh uh, fires in uh, the amazon jungle because he's uh, put a tariff on soybeans I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> your theory sounds as preposterous as uh, uh, that theory, in, in the sense, uh, 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 as far as I've known, whatever else you say about Nixon, he, uh, he, uh, the other thing you have to understand is he was a patriot. Whatever you think about him, he really believed in this country. And to say that you're going to go out and kill young people to advance your political is just um, beyond the pale of my comprehension. And believe me, I've heard some wild theories in my Well, Don, let's let's look at the facts then, Don. There was an enemy. Well, I've let you speak for a while. Can I speak for a while? Yes. I'm tired. You're the guest. Okay. Um, There are... uh, facts involved here where Nixon did have an enemies list. Hunt will tell you that they were out trying to do Bradley in and there were people that Nixon did kill. Now let's face the facts here. He was a great statesman and he was a great um, person when it came to doing the foreign affairs deals that he did. But when it came to his 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 psyche there was a flawed man there, a very flawed, and this is the psychologist coming out of me, this man is very flawed. He thought nothing of doing in someone if they got in his way, if they put up any barriers against his political agenda. And if you read the book by Don Folsom, Nixon's Darkest Secrets, he covered quite a few presidents. I, I couldn't put all the bad stuff this man is responsible for in my theory because it all didn't fit but there are tons of books out there that talk about what nixon's dark side looked like well you said nixon killed people who did he kill well um using a dea officer his name is metcalf um because he couldn't use the watergate seven they were locked up who were as usual um, black bag CIA guys. Uh, Metcalf stepped in and was on the plane that crashed in Chicago, and that was uh, Midway Air, um, Airport, December eighth, nineteen seventy three. I do believe I'd have to get my my little thinking cap back on. I think it was nineteen seventy 
72 or 73. Anyway, and Dorothy Hunt was on that flight, and she was taking um, materials to, monetary materials, to the Watergate 7. There were people in Washington, D.C. who were told not to get on that commuter flight going back to Chicago if they were thought of highly. There were others who were told, oh yeah, you don't want to take take off, get with the family this weekend. There were quite a few people, 44 I do believe, um, both on the ground and in the air, and Mrs. Hunt was one of them burned to death, including an infant. Metcalf walked off the back of the plane in a, a jumpsuit, and he would not talk about the uh, event because it, he was obviously rattled whenever someone would bring the event up because he was supposed to be a double cut. He was supposed to die in the crash so that no one knew he was part and parcel of it. Now, when I did a Freedom of Information Act request for the FAA report for that particular crash, um, Nixon had already put in place uh, the people in his group, Bud Crow and others, Butterfield, who would do be responsible for any investigation done on that plane crash, including the cover sheet, the plane crash data were three pages, and all it said was pilot air. Well, you know, um, amongst my uh, past things is I've written for Aviation Week and uh, worked with Bill Gregory. And I believe, uh, and uh, I'm only going to say this because uh, at my age, a lot of things get uh, forgotten. But I do believe that's the case of the, of the man who, who had this vision and walked off the plane. You know, uh, there are many instances of, of crashes where people have taken or not taken the plane based on a, uh, on a vision. And I believe, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to say anything further than say I believe um, uh, that that's the case. But the fact that he was on the plane and she was on the plane, he walked off the plane, makes it a conspiracy. That's what you're saying. Well, Nixon used had used him before. Oh, well, how did for Nixon others- reach down? so far into the F, um, uh, in FAA that he could get this done. Nixon appointed people in charge of the, the uh, accident, those who would research the accident, and put his friends in those positions so that if, if you, you don't you, research you, you anything understand, done... Do you understand how the FAA goes about choosing who does the... Um, uh, a plane crash. Are you familiar with that? I am familiar with the chain of command, and that no, if you no, no. say are don't you investigate Are you this. familiar how they decide which particular person gets the assignment? Do, do you know that there's a call board? No. That, oh, okay. Well, you know, I, work, I wrote for Aviation Week for seven years. Okay? And okay. I've actually been in the FAA headquarters etc. And the way it works is very simple. There's a board and that board says you are on standby. You are the next one to investigate. It's an inviolate uh, rule. Uh, the only thing that changes is if it's a, fa- a family emergency and the, the next person up is then in charge. 
I think that at one time there were 11. I think there's more now. And it goes one, two, three, four, because anybody that starts an investigation is going to be on it for anywhere from one month to two years. And that's how it's decided. And it's done that way to maintain the impartiality of the FAA, which has to satisfy Congress, the airplane makers, and the public. And there was no rule that Nixon wouldn't break. So just because there was a rule doesn't mean he didn't break them. <laughs> but you can't prove it. You're no. saying something. And neither can you prove that he all, all I know do is it. how the, it works normally. And if I known you were going to bring it up, I would have called somebody at the FAA to find out. But you're coming on the air and saying, he did this. He killed people. He did this. He was, he was implicated I, I, in a lot of deaths. He, he's implicated by who? By his you actions. Have one, you have by one piece, shred of evidence, a piece of paper, even an eyewitness that said, he said this and that person died. Metcalf won't talk about it. Well, he won't talk about it? About what? But about his role in the, in the plane crash. Yeah, but he, but you're saying Nixon made him do it. Nixon asked him to do it. How do you know that? Well, according to the books I've read, there were people that Wait, would it, come it, into Nixon's no, office and say, "I'm sorry, I'm I'm not getting getting to respond to your your questions." I'm sorry. Uh, I'm 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 just stunned by what you're saying. I'll be frank with you. Well, and I said the book at the very beginning was controversial because I want people to start looking at him, not through rose-colored glasses, but this man was highly disturbed and he was the president of the United States. He was highly unbalanced when it came to, not foreign affairs, he was a very good statesman, but the man psychologically was not well-wrapped. And we should look at what that, what we should be learning from that. And if you have a narcissist in the presidency, what can that look like? And what, why don't we learn from history? You can't become president unless you're a narcissist. <laughs> a bit of it's good, but Nixon has taken it to a, a, a unusual level, Don. You, know? you show, show me a pre outside of Harry Truman. Show me a president in, in in this century that wasn't an egotist. Well, that's allowed because you wouldn't get to that job if you didn't have a huge right. ego. But what I'm saying is, a narcissist uh, can look at the world in a totally different way and that is what Nixon told us even on the David Frost interview that he was above the rule of law and that right there even a lawyer president says he's above the rule of law that's why the laws were written presidents are supposed to also be held to the rule of law and Nixon said if he didn't it wasn't illegal now that's just sick that man is not was not well balanced. He did not and was not able to differentiate from disagreement and disloyalty, and that right there is a is a very sharp edge that we need to be very cautious of because we've seen in World War II what leaders that were like that could do to a country. So we have and thank. 
goodness, Dick Kissinger was there because there were more than one time that he was able to step in. I used to call Nixon his little drunk, and you know, Nixon uh, had names for, for Kissinger that weren't very polite. But the man was imbalanced. He was an alcoholic, and he was a narcissist to the point of it being a danger to the country. Uh, I, 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 could, uh, I, I hear you. I, I'm, you know, you're saying that people look at Nixon with rose-colored glasses. I, um, I, I, uh, I taught a class at Columbia a year and a half ago. And at the end of the class, Columbia University, at the end of it, they said they asked me uh, what what event that that I think uh, was the most momentous that I covered, and I said without question it was Nixon's trips to to China, and there was an absolute uh, howl from the audience about how terrible person Nixon was. Yet I pointed out the only man that could open up China was Richard Nixon, and he did it. Whether you like what happened to it or not is another story. Oh, I think what he did with with China was a wonderful thing. And again, I don't take his statesmanship away from him at all. What I'm taking away from him is the fact that he was psychologically imbalanced. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm sitting here, Jenny, I'm sitting here. um, um, uh, you, You have... See, I, I've been trained as a journalist, and if I, if I brought what you said to my editor, some of the editors I've had, they would take the paper and throw it in my face and say, go back and get facts. What you have are a whole mess, if I'm hearing you correctly, a whole mess of uh, uh, suppositions and uh, coincidences, and and you're reading into it and saying, I've come up with the conclusion that he was a narcissist, and uh, what he did was above the law, and therefore it must be true. We started off by saying he killed four people at Kent State, and I'm I'm sitting here, uh, you know, I covered that. Um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the photographer's name that took that uh, iconic picture that everybody remembers from Kent State. And, you know, we were sitting there having, uh, he was having a drink, I I was having a a club soda uh, two days later, and and he's saying, what what did we all accomplish? But Jenny, I'm talking too much, and I apologize. Will you you tell our audience more of your theories? And I promise to keep quiet. Well, I enjoy the back and forth, Don. Um, that, that's that's how we we learn and share. So that's not a problem. The um, is some of the the studies of Nixon um, actually uh, were based on um, John St. John Hunt's books. Two of them, one about his mother called Dorothy, and the other one of secrecy. I think was the name of it. Um, I just had it right here. Um, well, Bond of Secrecy was by his father, Howard Hunt. Um, no, it was about Howard Hunt by St. John Hunt. That was the other one, yes. And then Dorothy. Um, St. John Hunt was told a lot of things on his father's deathbed that his father had even denied vehemently until he he was very, very close to death. And St. John Hunt is pretty much, you know, de- goes out and does a lot of speaking at um, 
conspiracy theorist conventions and whatever. Um, what I want to do is look at this from a scientific viewpoint, um, psychologically, not just my interpretation, because I'm still working on my PhD, but I've looked at um, Nixon versus Nixon, which was a study about him by Abrahamson that did a psychological analysis, much like Abrahamson did for other uh, state leaders of other countries. That was his job. And that book will, I think, give you a very clear uh, appreciation for the fact that uh, Abrahamson is saying, you know, this man was not psychologically balanced. In fact, it was John Dean who said, hey, I've read your book, um, Dr. Abrahamson, but what you didn't say was, was this man insane while in office. And in John Dean's book, he says, Abrahamson did admit to me that he was insane while in office. So it's not Jenny Deason Copeland saying this, Don. This is the research out of three decades of reading the material that was available on the bookshelves about this man who has steered my opinions. And therefore, when you put on this, what I call the mantle of Nixon, and you read how he went through his life, uh, putting up his agenda and then playing for his agenda and bringing in people who would work with him on his agenda. And he meticulously worked these deals, personally worked these deals, had his touch on these deals, including Kent State, because that's who he was. He was not going to let, he was a control freak, and he was not going to let other people necessarily uh, ruin his plan. And that's why I think there was a direct, I can't prove it yet, Don, but I haven't stopped looking, a direct link, a phone call from Nixon to Rhodes going, you will use ammunition, you will get those, the, the National Guard over to Ken, and, and we're going to make this happen, and you're the, you're the state that's going to make it happen. Now, oh, Rhodes is de dead. If I'm yes, okay. Yes. Have you gone to his papers? No. Um, what my angle was was in the whole book was trying to think like Nixon, and uh, how would he have put this ball in motion, so to speak. Now, one of the things that I also did was read the doggone transcripts from the White House multiple times, and looking for. Um, any conversations on Kent and for a long time I and I even put this in the book that I thought um, the eight and a half minute 18 and a half minute erasure on June 20th uh, 1972 uh, conversation I do believe hold on I got a sticky note here just so that I wouldn't misquote yeah June 20th 1972 it was a 18 and a half minute erasure from Haldeman and Nixon conversation and a Originally, I thought, well, there was a petition that the, the parents and the students um, were trying to get into the, the Department of Justice and ask for a federal grand jury to be convened for their civil rights having been taken away from them. And at the time when there were the, the Jackson shooting and the Orangeburg shooting, those actually did get a civil rights, federal civil rights uh, grand jury convened, but for some reason, for this particular 
issue. There was no federal civil rights um, com- commission opened up, but they yeah, had this. Because there was a simple reason. It was a state matter. This, it, was, uh, it, it involved a state National Guard people, a, a state uh, a college. And there was not, it was not involved in the federal. It didn't cross. It, it didn't cross um, uh, state lines or anything else. Neither that did the reason. other two, Don. So you oh, can't well, well, you can't compare well, well, apples well, and apples. No, there. no, no. The other two involved uh, uh, individuals who had crossed state lines. If I again, I'm not using sticky notes or anything else. I'm using my tired old brain from having covered these events. Um, and uh, I've been wrong before, as someone pointed out to me this morning on something. Um, but that, if I recall correctly on that, and I just want to say one other thing: if uh, if everything that's been impugned on those 18 and a half minutes and um, uh, uh, written about, we have a, a Bible 24 hours long. Right now, let me finish my thought on that 18 and a half minute. Um, erasure. Uh, originally in the book, I thought, well, you know, um, the the students and the parents were going to the DOJ with this petition. Shouldn't there be something in the recordings? Because the recordings didn't start until after Kent State. Um, shouldn't there be something in the transcripts about the Kent State folks bringing in this? He, Nixon had to be having conversations with his AG over whether or not they would allow this or not. And there was nothing. There is no mention of Kent State. So it was, you know, the 18 and a half minute gap. It was, could it possibly have been a conversation that Nixon was having about Kent? Because there's an absence, you know, it's, it, there's just no way that this thing of Kent State wasn't big enough for somewhere in those transcripts it to be brought up. And it's, it's not there at all. Never mentioned. So, but there are other people thinking that the 18 and a half minute gap is a totally different conversation one about the Bay of Pigs for example which Nixon if you read the transcripts um, it's in the Folsom book Don Folsom's book Nixon's Darkest Secrets says Bay of Pigs was a code word for the JFK assassination so if you reread the transcripts and you put in JFK assassination every time Nixon's talking fixating on the Bay of Pigs it starts to bring out a whole different bent in the conversation and you go oh he was more worried about finding out something about the JFK assassination that information coming out he wasn't talking about the Bay of Pigs so I think that 18 and a half minute gap might more readily have been a conversation that might have been about the JFK assassination and that's one of the things that he would was just so secretive about and why the Watergate 7 um, he thought they were blackmailing him when all they were basically trying to do was they were CIA guys they expected if they got arrested in France for breaking the laws in France that the CIA rules were yep you broke the laws we'll get you a good lawyer we'll continue to pay your your wage we'll continue to give your ma- your family your your paychecks so that you you know don't go bankrupt because you agreed to be a CIA agent but when you're a CIA agent for the White House and you get arrested the president walked away from paying them anything or having their lawyers covered and the guys 
in the Watergate 7, we're going, well, wait a minute, that's not the way this thing's supposed to work. But if you break the laws on the U.S. soil, you've broken the laws on U.S. soil, and you end up in the Huskow. So they, they poor Hunt and uh, all of them, uh, Watergate 7, really hadn't thought about what happens if we get caught on the U.S. soil when we're used to being taken care of if we get caught. Unfortunate for them and extremely unfortunate for Hunt's well, wife, Dorothy. How does this how does this relate to the fact that we started this thing with oh, uh, President Nixon killed four people uh, in Kent State? That's your headline. Yeah. And, and so far you haven't, to, me, to my thinking, uh, and again, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm putting my editor's hat on, because I, I know what my editor would, would have said to me. He, he would have sent me to the psychiatrist if I brought, brought the, this set of facts that you brought, uh, and I said I wanted to do a story. And, you know, uh, I, I'm listening to it, and, and, and uh, please go on. I'm, I'm, I'm glad our audience will hear it. Because uh, uh, only by uh, opening things like this do we really uh, maintain democracy. Well, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. Um, I was encouraged by friends who had been at Kent State and said, uh, Jenny, you're doing all this research. Write, write the book. Write what you're finding. And what I've done is use, you know, a hundred or so books of other people writing about Nixon to paint a picture. Because I didn't have the the... I did not have the trip to China with him and get to know him personally. I had to rely on books that were written about him by people who I have to look at and go, do I trust a Folsom who was, a, like you, a journalist? And I have to trust, um, you know, pretty much what I hear here. He's got re references for all, all of what he's got in his book. I've read a hundred books like that. Some I throw out and go, well, that's just a bunch of BS, but what I'm trying to paint is a picture of a mind and what a mind would do. And by going through all these other things that this mind had put together, when you see a pattern of behavior, then it's not untoward to think that he also killed or ordered them killed for children on a U.S. campus when you look at all the other things he did. He was above the law. If it helped his political agenda, I wouldn't put it past him because if the president does it, in his own words, Don, it's not illegal. Well, um, millions of Americans voted for him and millions of Americans uh, um, uh, um, at the time were a little perplexed as to what happened. Remember, uh, President Nixon didn't resign because of water, uh, Watergate. He resigned because he lied. Correct. And, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, and again, he lied because uh, uh, he, uh, the Washington Press Corps and a lot of other people, um, a lot of other people um, simply disliked him. Um uh, you know, I sit here, um, what always amazes me is when I look at President Trump, um, it reminds me, when I covered a town called Orange, New Jersey, one of the most corrupt towns in New Jersey, and I, every day in the paper I was banging Mayor Nicholas H. Franco, 
And uh, uh, every time, day, time I saw him, he looked at me, treated me very nicely. He said, just spell my name right. Uh, uh, every time I see President Trump being uh, uh, pillared like uh, with, with, with this Amazon one, which I thought was a real uh, out of the woods, and he just keeps on going. And I look at Nixon, and to me, his failure was uh, he uh, let the constant barrage get into his skin. I don't know. You're, you're going for your Ph.D., in, in uh, psychology, I don't know. I don't pretend to. The only thing I have is 76 years of living, and I'm constantly surprised by people. And I'm talking a lot because uh, I, I'm having a great deal of difficulty wrapping my mind around what you're saying, and uh, and that's very rare for me. So I'm going to stop now, and uh, in the time we have left, tell us more because I think our audience should hear more of what you're saying. Well, the one thing that I think is most important is to understand that in order to look at the Nixon administration and what happened during that administration, you have to know that there's an there's an above board mind of, of Richard Nixon, and then there's a behind the curtains mind of Richard Nixon. If you understand that some people cannot separate, and this is key with Nixon, cannot separate disagreement from disloyalty, then you're going to have a hard time following what the book Tiananmen West, Why Nixon Ordered the Kent State Massacre is all about. One of the things that upset me uh, extremely was the fact that if up until my book, you would hear about the Kent State shooting or the Kent State this or the event or the, the you know, I've, and I said, wait a second, when it happened 200 years earlier than that, it was called a massacre when the British opened fire on unarmed people protesting a change of rules. Uh, how come it's not called a massacre when you kill students on U.S. soil who are unarmed, who are facing an armed guard? And yes, the, the Ohio National Guard, most of the men did shoot their, if they shot their guns at all, shot in the air. There were only a select few who shot into the crowd at all. And that, you know, speaks well for their training. And when I looked at the ones who, who shot, those are the ones who had been injured uh, in some way by the rock throwing and the bottle throwing uh, by the students. And so there, there was some some animosity in those. It, I think it was all but one of the ones who actually pulled and f their their triggers and pointed at the students that did not have some kind of wound um, based on that confrontation. But just like we learned in the Boston massacre, if you have an unarmed crowd and you fire live ammunition into that crowd, then it is called a massacre. And so my book title is not called the Kent State Shooting. It's not called the Kent State Event. It was a massacre, uh, per definition. Continue. I'm, I'm, uh, 
The hour is yours. Okay. Well, the other thing that I think a lot of people don't realize um, happened at Kent State, and one of the reasons why I started my research, I was in a, a class, um, worked for AT&T for 40-plus years as an engineer um, project manager um, for U.S. patents, um, not some kind of loony bin out there spinning stuff. Um, my degrees were in research psychology, and I'm very much based in science, Even even the work that I'm doing now on, just got my master's and working on that dissertation, I was trying to put things into a scientific uh, explanation for people um, about how psychics do what they do. Um, Fascinating uh, to me. The other thing that was fascinating to me is how an average American citizen in a class I was at um, when I was working at, at Michigan Bell at the time Somebody said, uh, I said I was interested in Kent State. I was doing some research on it. And somebody says, oh, they should have shot 400. And I go, wait, wait a minute. What do you mean you should have shot 400? And that was quoted in the Akron paper. The people who feel that way have been misled by the press in that these students were out, you know, causing trouble. They're, the students who were, were crossing campus it was the noon hour. They were just going to their next class. They were not trying to have an, a rally at the bell. That was um, not what these students were doing. They were walking across campus at the noon hour because classes changed. There was not a, a great big surge of students rallying to take on the National Guard. There were only a few students who were even throwing the rocks at them or um, throwing bottles back at them or throwing mm-hmm. the tear gas back at them. The rest of the people that you see in that crowd were bystanders watching what they thought was kind of fascinating. I myself at the University of Toledo that fall was a college student and there would be all kinds of bomb scares and whatnot um, where we would clear the building and there would be some protest or somebody did graffiti on the ROTC building door. Uh, we were there to get a degree. We weren't there to, to you know, cause trouble. 90% of the students, 95% of the students maybe, were just milling about watching something that was of interest now, could you be caught and accused of doing something, even if you were just a bystander watching one of the demonstrations? Yes, one of the students in my history class was blackballed that way by the FBI. The University of Toledo, if you've ever gone to Toledo, has a great big, huge tower. It was part of the union. What and does this have to do with Kent State? It has to do with what the students... Have you ever been in a riot? Have you ever been in a riot? A real riot. No, because okay, I wouldn't I do that. Okay. okay. All right, I have. And what, uh, w- w- until you've been in a riot, until you've been on the police side or the rioter's side, what, what, uh, you have no idea the, the dy- dynamics, nor do any, many of your psychology friends. Um, I've covered uh, uh, riots around the world. I, I, I was in Kent State the day after. Um, I interviewed some of the same people you're talking about. And, you know, those those kids and most of those National Guard kids, you know what they were really resentful about the fact? 
that they had to be in the National Guard to avoid the draft, while these kids had somehow or other gotten a deferment. And that was the real issue there. They put on um, National Guard units, some of whom uh, had to be in the National Guard in order to maintain their jobs and families. So there was resentment. It's town and gown. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hearing you talk about it, and uh, you know, I was at the University of Toledo. You weren't at Kent State. You have never been in a riot. When you're inside a riot, the, the dynamics are so totally different. Have you ever had a, a tear gas bomb thrown at you? No, and I don't think anyone that saw what happened was considered a riot at Kent State. You don't know? No. What would you call it? There were kids throwing canisters back at the National Guard. Yeah. There was some rock throwing. Why would the but Guard there were very, very few of the students that were doing that. The rest were bystanders yeah. watching yeah. what was going on. The next day, I, no, I wasn't a rioter. <laughs> of course, then I'm going to say they weren't. They weren't. As the police chief uh, said at the time, yeah, you're going to find the rioters. Yet if you look at the the still pictures and some of the others, there's an awful lot of people there that, according to you, were, quote, bystanders. Bystanders. (laughs) Okay. That's what my my University of Toledo story was going to explain to you, but um, it... The premise was that Nixon killed Kent for Kent State. I keep coming back to that because so far you haven't shown me, unlike other authors who have gone on this program, that you've really got a solid fact to back it up. And Nixon's that's be, own words isn't enough for you, huh? What? Nixon's own words isn't enough for you. If, you, if you're taking his words out of context and misperching a man... Uh, God knows has been smirched a great deal. But to accuse him of uh, ordering the killing of four people so that he could advance his plan against the the Vietnamese. His his words, Don, were for foreign policy considerations. That's why he did it. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go back. I've got I've got his biography. Uh, I'm going to go back and look at it. I was not prepared because uh, Jiggy didn't uh, tell me who the guest was, but, and I can't answer that. But again, from what I've known, seen, read over uh, 50, uh, over the time, uh, I, I just cannot. Ex- Usually, I can say, you know, you've got a you you've got something there. I'm having trouble wrapping my mind around it, and I apologize because I, I ask you one question, which my editor would ask me: Do you have one solid uh, evidence linking President uh, Nixon with an uh, order to kill people? His own have? words on page 457 of his, his R autobiography, R N 1990 version are his words, and he gave a motive. Don, I don't know how much more you need than that. If you read it, he's saying, I take responsibility because people are blaming Kissinger. 
Is that not what he said? No, no one was blaming Kissinger. The how the Harvard University friends of Kissinger were berating him for being part of an administration that would order such a thing. <laughs> and and so he said. Uh, so he's going to admit President Nixon is going to admit that he did that. Again, if if you read it the way I heard you read it, and there's a um, there's a wonderful story about the way you read read it. Um, uh, he's saying, if you're going to blame anybody, blame me. That's how I read it. And now, you're he reading gave, it differently. And he well, I'm reading it as a psychologist, and and he knew he was pardoned. He when he wrote it, he knew he wasn't going to get in any trouble, and so why not? Um, uh, Jenny, I have to go unfortunately because I, I have another radio show to do. I understand. Well, Don, it's been a delight. As as we wrap up here, Don, how do we get a hold of you online, my friend? Um, the National Robotics Education Foundation, the hyphen NREF dot org, uh, Small Business Digest, Two SP Digest, and DonMazzella dot com. And uh, uh, Jenny, uh, how, how do we get a hold of you, my friend? Um, you can get a hold of me at www.crazyredheadpublishing.com. You can also get a hold of me uh, on Twitter at Jenny Coped, J-E-N-N-Y-C-O-P-E-D. Other than that, just um, look me up on Facebook, Jenny Decent Copeland. I also have a YouTube channel where you can see book trailers for all of our work. And also on our website, you can download both the FAA report for the, the crash we talked about earlier in the program, and you can also download three separate documents that were all my Freedom of Information Act requests and replies that I received from, from the government on the, the Kent State era and what was happening during the Nixon administration. And those are all free downloads, by the way. Um, please dig in and have fun. Well, Don, I, I appreciate you being with us, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, Don. Thank you, Jenny. Take care. Bye-bye, guys. Appreciate Bye-bye. it. Bye-bye. There they go. Don Mazzella, Jenny Copeland. It is a uh, it's a fire brand here on our big broadcast. Fantastic stuff. And uh, a heck of a deal. Heck of a deal. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.